genre. Welcome back to Spider-Man Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze and live in the presence of the great truth about Spider-Man 3, one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. I'm Zach Luna. <laughs> I'm Alex Thompson. Oh, boy. Uh, and today we are talking about Minute 13, which begins with Flint Marco admiring his favorite t-shirt and <laughs> ends with Flint approaching his daughter. Approaching his favorite daughter. His, his favorite, favorite daughter. daughter. Yeah. <laughs> Admiring All the exposition, song. yeah, um, and not 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 good, not not good, not good, Bob, not good, um, not gracefully done. Oh boy! Uh, so this is my least favorite Sandman scene in the whole movie. Um, here it is, uh, back to back mm. with my favorite one. Um, this is awful. This is this is some of the worst dialogue in the movie, and that's really saying something because this movie doesn't <laughs> have great dialogue. Yeah. Ew. Not my favorite uh, 60 seconds out of this picture. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I do love that he tears some bread and then the lights turn on and his reaction is like, I shouldn't have torn that bread so loud. <laughs> he puts it to the side. <laughs> he puts it down. The guilty he tries bread to put it back placement. together. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like wheat bread. It's not even like, it doesn't even look particularly great. I'll be honest. <laughs> Which dry? I mean, if it's gonna be, if it's gonna tear that that hard, it must have been really dry. Um, and he he just he he the way he tears it too, it's just he tears it with his mitts, like it just, I don't know, <laughs> there's something like kind of like clumsy, like it's just not delicate, you know? Yeah, mm-hmm. sort of animalistic quality. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Um, yeah. he looks great in that t-shirt too. Like he does, he tucks mm-hmm. it in. Yeah, you know, respectable. He sort of like displays it before he puts it on. Ah, there it is. They kept my favorite t-shirt. <laughs> so this, uh, I, I, I'm assuming his ex-wife. Um, yes. The, uh, the, the, the mother of his child. She um, is still wearing a ring on her left finger. Oh, interesting. Maybe she's uh, remarried? I mean, but she seems like she lives here alone with the daughter, so. Yeah. Maybe she's just mad that like he escaped prison. Like, we had a good thing going with just us. Yeah. And I didn't, I didn't leave you, but the best version of you was the one that was in prison, maybe? Or, or, or no. maybe she was just like, like, look, you made a huge mistake, but I was fine with you being in prison and coming out, and maybe we could have worked it out then, but, like, escaping prison? Come on, man. That just means you're going to go to prison for longer. Like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> in a situation like this where he has escaped prison, one of the first people that the police would be contacting would be his family. Yeah, the fact because that they Because they would just... expect him to reestablish contact. So it's possible yeah. that she had to drag her daughter down to the police station. Her daughter had to get questioned by the cops about, you know, like, right. have you seen your daddy? Has your daddy tried to call you? Has your daddy tried to contact you? So she could be pissed off that, like, the amount of trauma that her daughter just had to go through down at the police station because of you. Again, Flint. Yeah. 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 Not good. Not- 
not ideal uh, for old Marco. No. Uh, and then we get this 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 whole line about truth, and um, <sighs> this is this is literally. I mean, I I'm not I'm not saying this in a I'm not being ex- I'm not trying to exaggerate. This is some of the worst dialogue I've ever heard in my entire life. <laughs> um, <laughs> Because it, there's there's no connection to reality or to what she's saying. It's just a collection of words, where they're they're like, okay, we need to talk about his daughter. I don't know how to transition to that, so we're just going to talk about truth, and then we're going to compare her to truth. And it really just sounds like she's about to announce her candidacy for president. That's <laughs> what it sounds like. Like I live in the presence of great truth. And that truth is America is the greatest country that is like it's Bye, fellow Americans. <laughs> yeah. I that's... live in the presence of the greatest truth there is. <laughs> and that is America. Uh it's horrible. I mean what? horrible. She has a line in here about eating dinner with truth in your cell. Yeah, she yeah. he said she says, huh, you and the truth eating three meals a day in prison together eating three meals a day or something like that god as if she's saying like as if i i think i think the idea that she's saying is that she's poor and they're lucky if they get to have three meals a day meanwhile he may have killed someone and went to prison and he gets to have three meals a day like she's he i think she's saying that he's doing better than they are Okay. I mean, I think that's the suggestion. It's very poorly written. I can't emphasize this enough. Yeah. So I I double checked, and the phrase is "you and Truth sitting in prison having three meals a day together." It's like sassy, but I, I can kind of buy what you're saying, Scott. That there's a a reason for the focus on meals, but it just strikes me as a cool way to say your time in prison. But it's not. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's I, very I, awkward. Yeah. I took that line to me more like you keep on, you've been claiming that it's the truth. You didn't do anything. And, you know, you, you keep proclaiming your innocence and it doesn't matter. You're still a prisoner or something. Yeah. Like what good that. does it do you? Yeah. 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 I, I kind of wish this scene, one, had been given more time to breathe, two, another rewrite, three, that, uh, the mother here, um, who I, I looked up the name of, uh, Emma. Name, I think it was Emma. Yeah. That she had been given the direction that she still loves him and knows that he's a good man. Mm-hmm. To give it more of a layer than just get out of my house. Yeah. I, I think the problem here is that because this is uh, a movie, like the theme of this movie that they were going for is forgiveness. And I mm-hmm. think they wanted people who were letting the fact that they weren't forgiving people sort of like ruin their life in Mm -hmm. a way. Mm -hmm. Um, Unfortunately, I don't think this was the proper character to do that with. Um, I think there were other opportunities they could have done that with, but that was definitely the thing. Like that's what the symbiote is meant to represent is uh, 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 holding a grudge, like what it does Mm -hmm. to you. If you hold a grudge, Um, it like poisons you. Uh, And, and when he finally lets go and forgives Flint for, killing uncle ben uh he he is uh uh sort of like you know set free in a way um and i think that she's meant to be more in line with eddie brock which is like she has let her stubbornness and her grudge against what flint did and how it affected her family 
uh, kind of destroy her life in a way. Yeah. But it's not done well enough that it, there. It, it's not focused on enough for it to matter to the overarching theme of the of the story. So I just yes. think it was an inappropriate use of that theme. Right. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and it's doubly awkward because of how the actual scene is structured and written. It just. Right. It, it would have been a wrong note regardless, but it feels doubly wrong because we're suddenly in this bizarre uh, anti-drama territory with this, you're a, you're a uh, escaped convict type <laughs> of phrase. Yeah, yeah. Like, I, like I wish that that dialogue had been given the way that it usually is, where it's one police officer on the manhunt explaining to another police officer on the manhunt who this guy is and right. like what he mm. did. You know, he was a you know, armed robber suspected of murder, uh, so on and so forth. And then right. they, these two could be having a scene that's more interesting than them having to deliver the exposition. Well, right. and, and, and here's the other problem is that uh, suspected of murder, you're not suspected of anything if you're in prison. You're guilty. Yeah. That's why you're in prison. Like the, the you fact- were convicted. Well, they know he's guilty of the robberies, but they don't know he's guilty. Yeah, he wasn't convicted of the murder. He was. He, he not? was. Oh no, he uh, the the platinum blonde head guy is the guy who was believed to be the murderer. Okay, Papa John. Yeah, yeah that's Papa right. John. Yeah, Michael yeah. Papa John. And then, but he at best they know he was an accomplice. But right. but he was in prison for the robberies and so on. Mm. Oh, okay, okay. So that's where her maybe even killed a man. Yeah, bit comes from. Yeah, yeah. Again, okay. not clear. Not <laughs> not clear enough, and that's part of the problem. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. definitely part of the problem. I think that there is there is this is. It's times like this where the benefit of firing your screenwriter and bringing in a fresh set of eyes is helpful. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And, and, and it's not, and the thing is firing your screenwriter sounds bad. It sounds harsh, but it's different in the world of Hollywood. Like it's <laughs> firing your screenwriter just means not bringing them back for another draft. That's all that means. Right. Um, it's like you've paid them for the drafts they did. Right. They did the right. job. Yeah. It's not an ongoing payment thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So like firing them just means you're not hiring them again. That's really all it means. But like getting a fresh set of eyes, someone who has nothing to do with this production coming in, looking at the script and being able to like connect those dots and add some subtlety and things. That's what this needed. I, it sounds crazy, right? It had three screenwriters and I'm suggesting that they needed another one, but I am. I think it needed yeah. one more. I, I, I do. I think it needed a fresh set of eyes that was an outsider of some point of some sort, like someone who could just step in having no context for any of this, read the script and do another draft. That's what yeah. I think this needed. Yeah. I think also part of the problem with that is that this scene I think could have been better if they didn't have to spend so much of the time in this movie on three villains. Mm. If you only had one or two villains, I think you can give scenes like this more time to be more interesting. I, I don't think you're wrong, but the problem is if you ask me which villain needs to be cut, I'm going to tell you it should be Sandman. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because he's the one that, like, if you're doing the symbiote story, that makes more sense to be done with Harry. Because if if mm-hmm. Peter is unruly harsh with Harry as the goblin, that is something that he would have more trouble forgiving himself for than mm-hmm. with Sandman, the guy who killed his uncle. Like, it it's 
it uh, fits better if it's if it's hairy. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then you save Sandman for another story about something else, but or or you you take Venom and uh, out of the equation, and you. Do... I would have rather taken Venom out. Uh, well, uh, well, I actually, if you watch this movie carefully, you can pretty much excise Venom and the symbiote from the plot and still get most of the broad strokes of this plot. But sort of, sort like, of. Like the same events could happen, but I don't think they yeah. would. I think functionally to the, I mean, this is something Scott said already, but like functionally to the way this movie works, kind of the symbiote is the main villain. The only one that's like an actual Mm. capital V villain completely that Mm -hmm. if you don't have him, then we we're going to have a movie where to like our Peter Parker, like hits Mary Jane in the face in a jazz club, you know? Right. Right. Like, I don't think that's recoverable from a a Mm. character standpoint. That's true. Yeah. yeah, that's true. Yeah, um, it's 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 just a different. Uh, I mean, that's the thing. It's like I I would have rather. The problem is that they set up Harry as as the goblin. That's really yeah. that's the key issue. Is that mm, you yeah. had to do they had Harry to get to as the Harry goblin. as goblin. Had to and, 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 and themselves into a corner. There. Right, yes. that's the yeah. problem. Right, because if you hadn't set that up yet, then this movie could have just been Vulture and Sandman, and you would have been good. Um, or Venom and Sandman, I think even. Sure. Uh, yeah, or Venom and Sandman, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and and then you would have been you would have been fine. But the the problem really just comes along with uh, the fact that uh, you set up Harry, and so you have to pay that off. And if you have to pay that off, fine. But then he wants to do Sandman and Vulture because he has that more connection to those '60s characters. And then they're like, well, actually, thematically, it would make more sense for you to use Venom. And here's why. Uh, and that connects with him. And then as a result, he's like, okay, so let's do Venom and the symbiote. But also, I still want to do Venom because that's, or I still want to do Sandman because I, I love that character and I want to do that character. But mm-hmm. then also, we have to pay off the Harry stuff. And so, like, you start to see how this runaway train happened. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and it's, and it's unfortunate, but it's also understandable and forgivable, which is good because that's the theme of the movie yeah. uh, <laughs> and the theme of the podcast to a certain degree. Yeah. So in yeah. the, in the hypothetical vulture and Sandman movie is, is Harry still just a simmering C plot or no, no, he's, he's there too. I think the, the Harry stuff basically happens the same way that it, that happens, uh, before it's just that. The vulture, the 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 difference in that, and I've already talked about this in the show, but um, the difference in in that was that the vulture was going to be the guy who represents the person who's holding a grudge and incapable mm. of forgiveness, the way that um, Eddie Brock now represents that uh, in this film. Um, and so the vulture, what happens is this movie was going to start with Spider-Man uh, sending Vulture to prison. Um, it was going to start with an action sequence with. Um, just the character prior to him becoming the vulture, uh, uh, you know, he is in a in a robbery or something, and and Spider Man uh, saves the day and and stops him and sends him to prison, and then he holds a grudge, meets Flint Marco in prison, and then they break out together. He makes his r- wings out of like shivs and stuff um, in prison. They break out together, and then he wants revenge on on spider-man and flint wants to save his daughter and it's about the the difference between those two guys um Mm. 
and and the theme of forgiveness and yada yada. So that was like what the original concept of the story was. And then um, the stuff with Harry was going to happen pretty much the same. Like, I think he was still going to get amnesia and um, it was, you know, they were still going to team up in the end, uh, but it was going to end up being like the vulture that was going to um, uh, hmm. do the killing instead of uh, Venom. I guess. Yeah. But, yeah. Although you um, then you still have the problem that we just mentioned, which is then if you don't have the symbiote, then you have a Peter who hits MJ. Yeah. Right. Assuming assuming that was in that draft. I mean, I yeah, don't, I don't yeah, know what yeah. what uh, the problem with Peter in that story. I think was that like not all the threads were connecting with Peter. Like it was hmm. it was a little more of a messy draft as a result. And the the thing that they realized the problem was that Vulture doesn't connect to anything other than the theme. Um, and uh-huh. so when you excised uh, uh, Vulture and replaced it with Venom, then you gain the symbiote costume, which then connects to everything else that's happening. And so that's how they came to this. Yeah. Like they are, they're all choices that make sense that together lead us into a, a murky zone. Right. Um, but but apparently the first time they were all put together, it, it wasn't murky at all. The the bigger draft of the script right. seemed to have been totally functional. And right. now we're in this zone where we're everything's compressed, everything's crunched, and we're, right. you know, ten minutes into the movie and three three villains yeah. deep already. It was originally two scripts, Spider Man three and four. And then <laughs> they condensed it to one 157 page script that everyone says was like super tight and a great script and everyone loved it, but it was too expensive to make as one movie. And so they trimmed uh, 25 pages out of it. And then that's how we get the movie that we got. So that's, that's what happens. (laughs) Yeah. 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 I guess we should mention the other actor in the scene. Um, Oh, sure. This is my thing I've been doing. I don't know. Who's this lady? This is Teresa Russell playing uh, mm-hmm. Emma Marco, and she's um, she's been a working actor since she was nineteen. Um, like in, in the late seventies, she started out in um, uh, Elia Kazan's The Last Tycoon, like opposite Robert De Niro and Jack Nicholson. And um, she's had one of those like long careers where she's been in like every type of thing to different degrees, like TV series and soap operas, and like big like critic you know, uh, uh, appeasing movies and like terrible schlocky things and um, just, just everything basically. And essentially terrible her, schlocky scenes like this, terrible schlocky, mm. like whole movies that are terrible schlocky scenes like this. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, and then whole movies that are, that are good. Um, I, she did an often parodied movie in 1987 called black widow, which was about yeah, a woman who married men and then killed them for their money and like went from, you know, man to man killing them and there's a female cop who tries to track her down and that was like the, a big breakout movie for her just in terms of people's like awareness of her and it was a thing that was like culturally clowned on or referenced a lot like you guys know in like adam's family values the second one how they have that character debbie um mm-hmm. yeah. it's basically based off the character that Teresa russell played in uh, black widow oh wow mm-hmm. yeah which <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow um, and, and like right around the same time as Spider-Man three, she was doing a soap opera, um, as a series regular, a, a soap opera that was adapted from a Mexican telenovela. If you wanted to know oh, the boy. level of, um, ridiculous we're working with. And, um, before that, a bigger thing she did was, uh, a, 
WB show um, from the guy who made Dawson's Creek called Glory Days. Uh, it ran for one season, and what I thought was funny about it was they shot a pilot um, about like, oh, a, a writer, like a novelist, comes back to his hometown, and then there's like drama in his hometown and the relationship in that hometown. Like a, a very standard, you know, Dawson's Creek-esque, uh, Kevin Williamson-type pilot. Shot that out, got picked up to series, and the WB, WB liked it, but they were like, what if instead there was like supernatural horror elements in it? Can we do that? So they picked, <laughs> they picked up the series, but then completely redid what it was and added in like a mystery whodunit and I guess supernatural stuff. And that, um, that didn't go anywhere. But my favorite, probably my favorite creditor credit of hers was that she played, uh, Morgan Le Fay in a 1995 adaptation of a young Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's court, which that's always fun to go back mm-hmm. and do some sorceress shenanigans. Um, I guess her whole thing is that she has this dangerous vibe that people could use either in like, you know, drama, dramatic stuff or like really generic, goofy stuff. And uh, either way, it was work. But people seem to love working with her. She's she's still around doing stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, this is just I don't know. I don't know if, if a better actor could have saved this scene uh, is all I'm saying. I'm not clowning mm-hmm. on her for being in no. soap operas because like that's some of the hardest acting work anybody does is soap operas. Yeah. It's just. No, she really does her best with this terrible yeah. dialogue. I mean, she's she's owning it. Yeah. You know, she's going yeah. for it. But yeah. unfortunately, you There's can only tell so that much she, you can do when you. Yeah. Got a, she, yeah. she doesn't know what she's saying either. And you can tell. Mm-hmm. Mm. And she's injecting as much like raw emotion as you can, but that's mm-hmm. not really it's not make the drama work. She's yeah, just, she's giving it a good uh, dramatic reading or a cold reading, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's just so. You, uh, I also have a yeah. couple of notes on Teresa Russell here. Uh, oh, please. Uh, so yeah. according to IMDb, according to Empire Magazine, so um, take it for what it's worth. Uh, named one of the hundred sexiest stars in film history by Empire Magazine. Okay. Mm. Yeah. Um, and one of those schlocky things you may know her from, uh, she was in Wild Things that uh, Matt oh. Dillon, Denise Richards, Nev Campbell, Kevin Bacon. Right. Yes. Piece. Uh, she with the was. Champagne. Yep. Denise Richards' mother in that. <laughs> oh, that checks out. Yeah. Yeah. Checks out. That tracks. Um, yeah. Yeah. That is that is that movie's <laughs> the definition of schlock. Oh, yeah. yeah. I, but that's intentional schlock. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah for sure. I yeah. mean, she married the the director of that Black Widow movie, uh, Nicholas Rogue. I never know how to pronounce his last name, but he was one of those actors, one of those directors who did all sorts of crazy stuff, like a bunch of random, like, uh, sometimes like, you know, movies that are about bodacious babes and stuff. And then he would <laughs> later do Don't Look Now and The Man Who Fell to Earth and... um the adaptation of that Roald Dahl book, The Witches, where there's with Angelica Houston and all that. Mm. Um, he also directed that. that. So he's just had this like really strange career arc. But they met doing those kind of movies and they were married for uh, like, I think over a decade. Um, I don't know. She's just one of those people that has like, I guess, I you could play uh, like the Kevin Bacon game with her. You know, like the mm-hmm. Six Degrees of Separation. Like if you scroll yeah. through her IMDb, it's just tons and tons of projects from every sort of filmed anything, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So well, she, 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 she does work. She, she works as hard as she can here. Yeah. Uh, she brings all those skill sets to bear, but I, you know, 
you can't you can't polish yeah, this. They're doing their best. In an alternate <laughs> world, I would love to see them sit down with these two actors. This is your backstory and have them just improvise a five minute dialogue scene <laughs> that I think would probably be much more interesting than this. Well, yeah. Hey, you know, Thomas Hayden Church looks great in that T-shirt. So, yes, he, he sure does. does so. They show him in profile and he <laughs> he looks like a cylinder. He is. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. Sandman. That is Sandman. <sighs> Um. All right. All right. Well, uh, I think <laughs> I think that's all we got for this one. Um, but uh, guys, uh, you know, you should be you should check out the, the other stuff we have at duelinggenre.com, along with uh, moviesbyminutes.com. And uh, Alex, what are you working on? Uh, yeah. So right now, my main project is Independence Day Minute. Um, that old ninety ninety six uh, classic with Will Smith, Jeff Goldblum, Bill Pullman at all. Mm. Um, also now completely in the can galaxy quest minute, um, which yeah. both of these two had, uh, previously guested on yep. and sticking uh, with spaceships, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. And then, uh, getting off that theme a little bit, uh, my occasional side project with Doug Greenberg of Rocky minute is Cleveland in six going deep into major league. We release that sporadically cause it's a side project for both of us and oh. uh, it's baseball. It doesn't really have a schedule anyway. So, ah. okay. Yeah, I like it. but every so often an episode comes out with that. Um, but yeah, check me out all those. You can find them on your podcatcher of choice for the most part. Uh, and, and social media is pretty self-explanatory. On, uh, they're, or they're all on moviesbyminutes.com as well? Um, I may have forgotten to submit one of them, but other than that, yeah, probably. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, that wraps us up here. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow with Minute 14. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye.